Well, hello and welcome to 15-Minute Theology, a podcast covering the central truths of the Christian faith in, you know what, yeah, let's say 15 minutes, we're going to aim for 15, and if it's not, that's totally fine. My name is Tyler Burton, and on today's episode, we're talking about a word that's everywhere in Scripture. It's what one of my professors called a Bible word, but it's not in our everyday vernacular. It's something we might not entirely have a full definition of, and even further, might be something we don't entirely know how to attribute it to God, and it's the idea of righteousness. And helping me out today is somebody more than up to the task uh, to help us out with it. It's uh, Dr. Matthew Barrett. Dr. Barrett is the professor of Christian theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the author of a ton of books. If you haven't read his work, please go buy one and read it. It's really incredible stuff. He just came out with a book called Reformation as Renewal, one that I'm looking forward to reading. Um, he's also the editor of Credo Magazine and podcast of the same name. So Dr. Barrett, thank you so much for joining me on 15 Minute Theology. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's let's just kind of go down the rabbit hole right away. Let's jump in. So uh, righteousness. Can you give me a, a, a definition of righteousness and then help me understand how how God is righteous? Well, when people hear the word righteousness, all kinds of things come to their mind. Um, A.W. Tozer once said, the, the first thing that comes to your mind about uh, when it comes to God is, is probably the most important thing about you. Uh, actually, he didn't say probably. He, he said it is. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, when people hear the word righteousness, um, any number of things that can come to their mind, some that are biblical, some that are not. Um, so I think the first step is to understand the word righteousness in light of the holiness of God. And that may be a bit strange to some if they think of holiness in terms of just another Christian they met who is trying to be holy, uh, or if failing, they think of right. holiness just as your personal effort to be a good person. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, that our, our experience doesn't really match up to what we in scripture means when we talk about the holiness of God. So two things that you have to know right away. When we talk about the holiness of God, uh, we're not necessarily referring first and foremost to just God being without sin or evil or wickedness, as true as that is. Uh, when we say God is holy, we are referring to the fact that God is set apart. And there are many perfections that set him apart from us. Uh, first and foremost, he is not a creature. Uh, he is life, everlasting life, in and of himself. Um, we could go on from there and, and talk about how he is eternal and unchanging, or what we might say is uh, immutability. And we could, we could go on from there. But the point is, when we talk about the holiness of God, we're not just saying he is without evil or he is without wickedness. We are saying far more. He is set apart. And part of what that means is that in his, um, in his uh, abundance of life, uh, 
in his eternal and everlasting and unchanging abundance of life, uh, he does not have to pursue holiness like we do. Hmm. Uh, in other words, he is holy. And there's another word for that. It's the word simplicity. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that he's basic or easy to understand. Clearly, that's not true. It means that uh, God's essence uh, is his attributes and his attributes, his essence. Uh, unlike us, he doesn't have to pursue holiness to try to gain it mm. and become more holy from everlasting to everlasting. He is holy without measure. And so that word simplicity is so important because essentially what we are saying is that God is holy. Everyone else, uh, as far as you know, you and I as Christians are holy. Well, we are holy as far as we participate in mm. him and his likeness, right. as we might say. From there, then we are, we're ready to talk about what it means for, for this God who is so set apart uh, in the abundance of, of his infinite life, what it then means for him to be a holy God in reference to, well, quite unholy people. Mm. And there, uh, uh, righteousness is, is a very pivotal word because uh, God, uh, well, as Scripture says, he will not give his glory to another. Uh, so that means that uh, God uh, requires and even commands us to give us um, our worship without any, any allegiance to any other God. And uh, he has the right to do so because he is our creator, something that uh, puts us in a position of participation, a position of subservience, a position in which uh, we then um, go to him to understand how we then can live in a righteous way in his in his uh, gracious covenant. S super helpful. Yeah, when I was uh, studying for this episode, uh, I read someone say that righteousness is God's holiness in action. Uh, it's his, it's right activity, right way of being because of his holiness. Uh, like there won't be an imperfection in his action because he is holy, right? Is that along the lines of kind of what you're saying? The holiness carries then forward to righteousness. Yeah, uh, the way that we know God is, I mean, we, God is incomprehensible to us. His essence is incomprehensible to us as finite creatures. Uh, but he's so accommodating to us. Mm. Uh, he has made himself known by means of his wonderful, wondrous works. And uh, his words as well. And so uh, from the very beginning, we see this in Genesis. Um, and so from the beginning uh, through to the history of Israel, all the way to Christ and uh, the church, well, from beginning to end, uh, what, what do the people of God experience as they then, uh, their eyes are, are lifted from these works that they and words that they receive from God to who he is, well, that word righteousness becomes really instrumental at that point because uh, you think of Abraham, for example. You know, Lord, are you going to destroy this city even mm -hmm. if there's X amount of righteous people in it? Well, what Abraham is really after, he's asking God, are you righteous? 
Uh, or we, we might elaborate a little bit, bit in light of the situation and say, oh, well, Abraham's really asking God, are you just? Are you a God who acts in a just way? And of course, uh, Abraham learns, yes, of course God is. Yeah, yeah. And I really like how even in, in kind of both of those ways of thinking about it, you tied in the incommunicable and the communicable attributes of God. Um, it, it seems like god's actions towards his people is kind of a way that those two come together then right and we covered in season one simplicity immutability we, we covered all those wonderful things and righteousness is kind of a way we're seeing that carry itself forward then right to to his communicable mm. attributes of god towards his people um you also brought up the story of the bible righteousness is a unique word for the story of the bible and, and specifically for the gospel um could you could you help us see how uh, this idea of righteousness not only shows us the narrative of Scripture, but also points us to the good news of Jesus. Well, it certainly points us to the good news of Jesus. Um, when we encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think sometimes Christians can be tempted at times to think, well, I either must choose between a loving God or a holy God. And with that, we might say a God who acts in perfect righteousness as, as if those two things, uh, only one can explain the gospel. But when we right. open our Bibles to Romans 3, for example, well, in one sense, the Apostle Paul feels the tension in light of the whole story of Scripture. Hmm. How can God justify us? when we are ungodly? And this right. is the big question mark hanging over the book of Romans. How can a righteous God justify an unrighteous people? Hmm. And that tension, you can feel it under Paul's skin almost. Hmm. Uh, and when he comes to Romans 3, it just, it just burst open. Yeah. And Paul says, here's the good news, that the Father has sent his only begotten son to live uh, a, a perfect life as the second Adam, he succeeds where the first Adam failed, uh, so that we then are, uh, well, we receive his righteousness, that perfect righteousness is imputed to us, mm -hmm. to our account. So that's very legal. Uh, even mm -hmm. those words I'm using are very legal or, or what we might call forensic categories. Yeah. And then he goes on to, to, to then describe, well, it's not just that, but he also suffered in his mm -hmm. life and in his death so that he bore the penalty, the wrath of God for our law breaking. And scripture uses that word a lot to, to talk about how we are transgressors. So this is beautiful news to Paul because then he can say, well, at the cross, it's as if, it's as if the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God kiss the, the, the love of God as displayed in his, his gracious favor. And in the end, there is no contradiction in God. God, mm. this holy, righteous, and just God, is justified to justify the ungodly, as wicked as we are, because he does so on the basis of the righteousness of 
Jesus Christ himself. Uh, if, if uh, you know, one of our listeners has not heard that good news, um, you, you don't get to that good news by doing away with the righteousness of God. I know that yeah. sometimes people are told this so often. God's got to love. Uh, we, we, we don't need to talk about holiness and, and your sin. And you no, know, actually, Paul says in Romans 3, this is the only way to get there. Uh, because yeah. because unless he is this holy, righteous, and just God, uh, he cannot provide that perfect substitute that, that you so desperately need. Yeah. Yes, and amen to that. Uh, I mean, that's First Corinthians, right? Like, he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might now become the righteousness of God. Uh, yeah. It? And, you know, but, I mentioned that word earlier, which maybe for some people is a new word. That word, when I said God's simplicity, it, it basically means God is without parts. And when we yeah. elaborate on that, we don't, what we mean is God doesn't like have to go get love to, to become more loving. No, he is love. And likewise, mm -hmm. we could say that of holiness. Well, that's really important because when you come to Romans 3, if in your mind you're thinking, oh, either God is holy or God is love. Yeah. And so you're being pressured to choose between the two. Well, there goes the simplicity of God. Right. Uh, his attributes are now, his perfections are now almost in, in contrast and tension with mm -hmm. one another. But Paul never, Paul never goes there. He assumes this beautiful doctrine of God's simplicity. To, and, and then he can say, no, God is holy love. And that's why, that's why you are right with God, no longer an enemy, but a friend. Uh, yeah, he's the just and the justifier. He, yes. He, he did both. Uh, in in Christ Jesus, that's yeah, that's super helpful to keep tying it back to who who God is. Um, so I'm I was having a conversation with my wife when I knew I was recording this episode, and she last week uh, started reading uh, Matthew, and she gets to Jesus's baptism, and she gets to the part of what on earth does it mean when Jesus says he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness? And I threw an answer out, and then I said. I'm actually talking to Matthew Barrett in a few days, and I'll ask him. <laughs> so, uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, because we're on the idea of righteousness, uh, if you wouldn't mind helping me and my wife uh, just dig further into this, um, Jesus in uh, his baptism says he must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Um, how does that play then into what you were just breaking down about how God is both the just and the justifier? Where does that kind of fit into that gospel yeah. narrative? Well, in order for God to be just and the justifier, uh, the incarnation becomes incredibly important, right? Mm. And here is where our knowledge of the Bible can really help us out. Because when we look at Adam and then Israel, it's one long tragedy. Um, that's one way to put a, a, a very long story uh, in which uh, they break God's covenant and they become transgressors of God's law. They don't listen to his word. And beyond that, they become idolaters as they worship uh, the gods of the nations rather than um, the God who is the, the Lord, our God, the Lord who is one, as, as Deuteronomy says, and so on and so on. When you open the Gospels, uh, suddenly it's a new day because, it, well, the, the prophets have been uh, 
foreshadowing and, and, and pointing towards this day to come. And then finally it comes. And when Jesus comes on the scene, suddenly uh, you see uh, an announcement of his kingdom. And then maybe to our eyes, something peculiar happens. Why is he being baptized? Um, but that tells us that, well, this Jesus is not like the first Adam. He's not like uh, Israel either. He doesn't need a sacrifice for his own sins, as the book of Hebrews will, will say. And he seems to be under the impression <laughs> that he is acting as a representative for God's people. And yeah. that's the important part, right? Because uh, he's not being baptized because he is a sinner uh, and needs the forgiveness uh, of God. Uh, rather, he's being baptized for on our behalf. Mm -hmm. I love the church father Irenaeus, who, uh, when he was reading the Bible, he used the word recapitulation to say mm -hmm. when Jesus comes on the scene, he is recapitulating the history of Adam and Israel, except this yeah. time he's doing so in a way, uh, well, they failed, he succeeds. And so when Jesus is baptized to fulfill all righteousness, I think it means a lot, but certainly at the very least what it means is that here begins the ministry of Christ in which he is going to obey the law where Adam disobeyed the law. He is going to be faithful to the Father where Israel was unfaithful to the Father. Uh, he is going to undergo the waters of, of judgment and he is going to rise triumphant in the end. Well, in, in, if that's what it, it means at the very least, right? Mm. That this Messiah, this son of God himself is going to, to undergo this baptism. Well, then I think we would all be saying, yes, Jesus, be baptized for my sake yeah. uh, to yeah. fulfill all righteousness uh, so that I may be right with God. And I think mm. after his baptism, that becomes uh, that be, that begins more and more to become apparent. Yeah. What what gracious, glorious, and grand news! I didn't even mean to do the Baptist thing of three G's, but it just came out <laughs> like that. What what incredible good news! Um, yeah. Man, well, Doctor Barrett, thank you so much uh, for just walking us through uh, the idea of God's righteousness and pointing us yeah. directly to the gospel in it. Um, thank you so much for joining us as well. And we will see you next time on 15 Minute Theology.